Okay, it's your death sentence for this week. Uh, literary news. V.S. Nepal died. I haven't read any of his stuff. I know very little about him other than he was mean to his wife. Um, yeah, that's the only the only thing about him that I knew. I didn't even really recognize any of his book titles, which makes me feel like, am I am I a dumbass? It's like when I found out that I had no idea what Tree of Smoke was until Dennis Johnson died. Well, yeah, that does make you dumbass. That's a really good book. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, V.S. Nepal is like one of those names who, like uh, Kingsley Amis or even Martin Amis, who you like you know of but don't really read because they're just names so yeah RIP to him he taught he he didn't teach me it was okay to be weird because I knew nothing about the guy he taught me it wasn't okay to hit your wife but then kind of knew that anyway uh, so yeah, RIP into him he did that the he taught us that lesson the hard way by doing it and making us feel really really awful when we heard about it and going I never want to make anyone else feel that way including wife yeah. Okay, so, yeah. V.S. Nepal, uh, R.I.P. in peace. Yep. And, uh, Rip dead guy. He done so. Mm-hmm. And another guy who is R.I.P. in peace is hashtag Sky King. Did you see this shit? In uh, Seattle, a 29-year-old uh, airport worker just got a cargo plane and decided to do some loops and barrel rolls around uh, Seattle and now um, like neo-reactionary chuds have adopted him as their mascot hashtag Sky King and uh, are saying things along the lines of you know, a, a guy um, with the username Thanos is, has written the lyrics to Learn to Fly by the Foo Fighters Followed by R.I.P. Sky King. Oh. Another, that's... That's terrible. That's... Every... Uh, also, obligatory mention... Every time you mention uh, Foo Fighters, we also have to mention that they played an, a concert for AIDS denial. AIDS denial. Um, that's true. They did do that. Yeah. That should never be not be mentioned when we mention the Free Fighters. But uh, in fairness, they did that because their bassist is insane, and apparently they just stopped letting him talk. But yeah, they still did it. Yeah, they did is, it. Is and they just the... have never talked about it again. Is he still the bassist? Oh yeah. Oh, wow. he is still the bassist. Also, the former bassist of Sunny Day Real Estate said, so "Next time you pull out any of their records, just think about how their bassist." Uh, oh shit! Like... I, I knew he. I knew there was a Sunny Day Real Estate guy. In that, but I didn't know it was that guy. I also, like there another guitarist or something. No, their first drummer was also from Sunny Day Real Estate, but he got replaced with Taylor Hawkins, who's a much better drummer anyway. Yeah, and and the person I ship with Dave Grohl. You know what's really fucked up? Have you heard that new Dave Grohl track? No, I saw you posting about it. It's like a a prog rock epic by Dave Grohl. Yeah, it's a twenty minute instrumental prog tune, and it's good. Dave like he plays Grohl. all the instruments, he plays bass, guitar, drums, keys, and it's yeah, it sounds nothing like the Foo Fighters. It's like on the more hard rock end of like later rush, but still that same sense of like programmatic hard rock music that just And I was like, "What? Why? What?" Like I felt 
obliged to listen to it because I don't think you get to be a music writer and ignore something as fucking stupid as Dave Grohl put out a 20 minute instrumental song where he plays all the uh, instruments. I feel like specifically it's like if your job is to critique music, that's one of the things that it's your job to listen to, whether you like it or not. You just you are required. Um, I'm glad I quit. You have to know so that other people can know either to avoid it or, and I was like, no, it's good. Like what? And then it just, that just made me angry. Cause it's like, you could be doing this. Mm. Like you, you've chosen not to do this. You son of a bitch. Dave Grohl, man. So, uh, yeah, Dave Grohl, Sky King, world's fucked. Nothing means anything anymore. Dave Grohl's recording new albums, chuds of hijacking planes. It's all gone to shit. talk about June. Yep. A planet where everything is going fine. But by the end of the book... Uh, actually, <laughs> no, because there's more books. Uh, yeah, so last episode we did the first half of the book. Uh, the first half was mostly um, political intrigue and how difficult it is to move house. Second half of the book is political intrigue, uh, rituals, and knife fights. Stabby stabby. <laughs> and um Sting must die. I I liked his I liked his character in both the books and the film. And not yeah. just because he was Sting, just because he was just a thousand times more interested in every, everyone in here. Although it was fucking hysterical that they had Agent Cooper and I fight Sting uh, to the death. <laughs> that, shit, that, shit, that shit will never be not fresh. Anyone who doesn't like that movie is ignoring that canonically Aging Cooper has killed Sting in an alternate world. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine like David Lynch being like, Coop, we gotta kill Sting. <laughs> Get from the van. <laughs> no, I gotta find gotta find Laura. Like, no, we already did that. That part that's done. You did that already. We gotta go get Sting. <laughs> I did? Yeah, you did. It was you probably were all zonked out on gum. <laughs> Just, so yeah, I would highly recommend anyone who hasn't seen that film to just watch it because it's, I, I think the one I saw on YouTube you can see you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. I think that's the um the cut that David Lynch hated so much he took his name off of it. Yeah. But um, I think a real cut exists out there somewhere, doesn't it? Or is that like it, lost to history? It's supposed to exist somewhere, but I I think there's like some hangups in terms of the release. Oh, so you can't, you can't watch it from that. It's not like on some, like, 
Portuguese DVD that's the only place it can be released or something. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Because the uh, Redux version of Apocalypse Now is like 10 times better than the original, and I assume it it's going to be like eight hours long. It will probably fill in a bunch of the plot holes, of which there were many in the film. And loads <laughs> of really important stuff got skipped over. But um, the book... Okay, the second half of the book, though, kind of kind of suffered from the same problems as the second half of the book, which is that all this really important stuff happens, but in incredibly short time. And uh, especially the... Um, in fact, in, in the book, it's worse than in the film, the pacing, and the uh, how much emphasis goes on different things. There are, like, ten-page stretches where it's about some ritual that Paul goes, or his mum, his hot mum, go under when they're joining the Fremen. And there's like, I think maybe 15 pages at the end that covers the entire, like, my dip insurgency and him defeating the Harkonnens and the Emperor and becoming Emperor, or married to a princess. Uh, and it just ends too. Like, the, the, the ending is like, infinite jest levels of fucking with your readers. It just kind of ends mid-conversation. I don't know if it was meant to be a punchline, but it, it just kind of ends and then you've got the, the back matter. So um, this actually touches on a historical thing in science fiction um, that, that affects a lot of books from this time period. Um, so from... So science fiction novels actually were, were semi-common in the very early 1900s, like like 1901 or 02 to the, to the 20s. Um, but they tended to be like bigger names. Like I think his name was like Olaf Stapleton. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, names like that, doing making books like Star Maker. And that felt more like literally kind of like what Italo Calvino would do later, where it's fiction novels about science concepts, not science fiction as we would typically think of it now. Hmm. Um, then it went through a long stretch that, that overlapped a little bit of like proper science fiction tales as we know them now starting to rise up in magazines, starting in boys' magazines and then eventually sort of coalescing to their own science fiction magazines. Because um, like amazing stories didn't originally only feature science fiction. It just eventually became a science fiction magazine. And you have Astounding and all the other like uh, bigger like science fiction pulp magazines where like Asimov and Clark and whatever got their start. Um, Frank Herbert eventually did start in the same uh, the same world just uh, like a decade or two later, I think. Um, so that goes on for a bit and science fiction novels still exist, but they tend to be like conjoined short stories. Like the first, I think one or two foundation books from Asimov, which are fucking remarkable, um, literally were all published as independent short stories and then bound together. Something that for more literary readers will recognize as the bullshit that gets sold to us as novels sometimes. Um, I'm allowed to say that having written one like that before and learning the hard way that, no, don't do that. <laughs> if you're going to write a book, write a book. Um, okay. But uh, so there was then this interim period that Dune fell into 
after the centurion period, the, the notion of if you're going to write a novel, sit down and write a full novel and make it be an original novel became a lot more prevalent. So by the late 60s and then into the 70s, that was one of the big primary modes of sci-fi novel production. But in like the late 40s into the mid 60s, one of the big ways to do that was called a punch up, which is you take a short story and or a novella and you just expand off the edges of it or you fill in gaps. Uh, so you take like what would have jumped scene to scene and now you fill in with like 50 pages of new material or something like that. And Dune initially was a punch up novel hmm. of it was also what, like two um, analog stories that were joined together and filled out. Two or three. Uh, I forget exactly how many it was. Um, uh, oh, no, it was two separate serials, but each of the serials were a couple different parts. And then he, yeah, filled in different gaps. So you can you can see uh, when you, by the time you get to the end of the book, um, you can see the parts earlier where he definitely spent a lot more time and effort editing to make it smoother versus the end, which like the last maybe 70 pages feel like he sat down, wrote 10 pages, got up and didn't touch his keyboard again for like a month. Mm, yeah. Because it's just like, it's a shotgun blast of events and then boom, book over. Um, mm, yeah, definitely. It was just, yeah. It, I remember looking forward to seeing how much I had left when the like first shots of his rebellion were actually fired. And it was like five pages. There's... <laughs> Yeah, it was just like, okay, let's blow up a nuke and uh, the thing. Oh, a nuke, yeah. Uh, I was very disappointed that the sandworm thing from the film didn't happen because that kind of seemed like an obvious choice. So, because it kind of that. It, okay, yeah. In in the film, at the end, uh, Paul and all his friends get, uh, including um, Patrick Stewart, actually, is, is a major character in this. He's uh, not Duncan, uh, the other guy. Uh, how, yeah. How, whatever. But um, they all get to, oh. yeah, they all get to ride around on giant sandworms the size of skyscrapers that can that like people are shooting at but somehow missing, and um, yeah, they it's fucking awesome, and uh, there's all just like, I think who was it, uh, Toto the band were, were in there yeah. like rocking on the guitars and just Toto did the uh, yeah. entire soundtrack for Dune. Yeah, that was like pre-ironic Toto as well. Way before Weezer uh, co-opted them. That soundtrack is fucking great. Oh, so brief aside, Toto is a fucking great band. Like, if you like, like, light prog stuff, to be fair, that's the caveat. But if you listen to, to their records, they also they straight up go like heavy prog metal um, at times, like from the 80s into, into now. Fuck the irony. That band's good. Steve <laughs> Lukather is fucking great. Also, their old bassist looked like fucking Merlin. Wow. Uh, folks, the link to a picture of him will be in the show notes. And I'm uh, gonna find I'm gonna find his name so we can officially nail down uh, Merlin ass looking dude. Uh, is that him? But yeah, no. so. Yeah, end of the book, no sandworm riding, even though he does get to ride around on one, you think that's going to be a setup for it, but no. Then he 
goes into a throne room, has a little chat with the Emperor, uh, has a knife fight with Sting, and marries a princess he'd met like in two seconds, while his actual girlfriend is behind, and mother of his son, who we think is dead but turns out to be isn't, is like a couple of meters away from him. Oh, and he, he also, um, which was in the film, had another knife fight, because that's how things get decided, with a Fremen guy, and killed the guy, and got to, like, steal his wife and children. It's like, yep. no one has been cucked harder than that guy. And it's, yeah, <laughs> that just guy is horribly owned. If like, you lose in this fight, I will fuck your wife. <laughs> yeah, your kids will call me daddy. <laughs> Uh, if you go into the backstory, though, if you find out that luckily that that man had the biggest cuckolding fetish of anyone on Earth, and the only way he could be uh, sexually satisfied is if he literally died while being cuckolded. <laughs> so it's a happy ending. It's actually a happy ending. Yeah. That was, that was fun. So, yeah, the um, we get to... Yeah, so... Paul Atreides starts his rebellion. He becomes like the messiah for a group of people. Uh, he, it's it's very um, colonialist. It's pretty problematic in nowadays terms. The gender politics, which has been pretty decent to this up until this point, kind of breaks down. Paul, as a character, goes from being kind of an okay guy to being either like simultaneously like cynical and messianic. Uh, talking in this very like convoluted way and very um he crawls way up inside of his own butthole he just spreads it open and he just dives right on in yeah he's yeah he it's talking in a very like high fantasy way by the end of the book but also like utterly cynical about politics and being totally willing to marry the emperor's daughter just to get ahead in things and killing a hell of a lot of people and being totally okay with his two-year-old sister walking around a battlefield killing people. Um, to be fair, she is the strongest psychic in the universe. Yeah, still. It's a bit grim to have, a, a, like, a toddler going around, like, stabbing people. It, it is It is pretty dark, yeah. Yeah, it is pretty, it's pretty dark. So, they, um... Yeah, and then they win. But in the background, all this time... Paul has been having visions of leading a jihad, his words, um, that would kill billions and billions of people across the universe. And then I get, I'm guessing in the f future books that actually happens, and there's that line I've heard about where he compares himself favorably to Hitler. And um, Well, it so in defense of the book not of that um i had to stop for a second um the turn that you're feeling the emotional turn is as expanded on later in later books a very deliberate one um because the thought was seizing on very much to like the lawrence of arabia feeling of the the colonial messianic figure and where that can even be responding to a very real uh, outside anxiety, in this case, the Harkonnen um, colonial uh, impulse uh, with Arrakis. But 
following a good impulse does not necessarily mean that all of your actions from that moment forward are going to be good. And like a big plot point in the next two books within Dune is uh, Paul becoming aware of how shit this all is and trying desperately to undo it and it not working at all because his son replaces him um, in, in the figure of, uh, of emperor. So to be fair, the things you're citing of like, it suddenly turns really gross is, um, is expanded upon and placed there deliberately. Like it's supposed to suddenly strike you as like, wait, no, this colonial guy isn't, isn't the good guy. Hmm. Like he took the notion of fighting for, um, fighting for the liberation of these people, but he just became another emperor. Uh, and his method of inspiring them is a, uh, Basically, a uh, he created an insane war engine that can't really be chained or controlled. So it touches a little bit on the, uh, like what happened with the creation of ISIS, hmm. um, where even if you buy the bullshit that we went in to take out Saddam because Saddam's bad, which is almost certainly not why we did, why the international coalition in America went into Iraq, um, the undoubted... Uh, one of the undoubted, uh, like, wicked fruits of that, aside from the millions dead, um, was the creation of ISIS in this power vacuum. And so Dune is at least nodding towards that with the notion of, like, if I create an empowered, uh, ego-led, um, like, violent insurgency in order to overthrow this colonial force... Uh, how do I make them stop once we've done that? Oh shit, wait, no, I can't. Oh no. <laughs> what have I done? I'm the baddie. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the latter half of the book, there's a a major plot point in this is that because people can't use nuclear weapons, they have to create armies of badass super soldiers who are even more badass than the enemy's badass super soldiers. <laughs> and um, so the uh, emperors are uh, Sardaukar death blood killers or whatever they're called are pretty badass and everyone's scared of them but uh, Paul has uh, trained his um, Fremen into being like um, his words death commandos and the the, the level of like uh, like tactical dude uh, fragile masculinity in calling anything a death commando is just way off the charts there it's you gotta have like some not much going on in your pants to call your your crew your entourage the death commandos uh, it's worth pointing out that that is also a deliberate um it's it's slightly more subtle than star wars um only in that star wars literally called them stormtroopers but mm. Uh, the, the notion there is to appeal to the image of the SS and hence the like when later in the books, Frank Herbert has a comparison to Hitler with the uh, with the Atreides. It's it 
It sucks that this has to be said now because our current politics are so bad, but you're supposed to go, oh, that sucks when you read it. You're not supposed to go, oh, shit, I love Hitler. He, he's the good one. Now, this guy comparing himself to Hitler, he's also the good one. Like, you are supposed to go, wait, is this Nazi shit? Oh, no. Oh, no, that's bad. And it's weird because it's a dramatic irony that in all good universes is immediately scaldingly apparent. But in this bad timeline, is not. <laughs> nope. No, the uh, Large Hadron Collider broke our universe, now we're just sliding into stupid. <laughs> we're getting into dumber and dumber, but still tragically mundane dystopias. Oh, yeah. But, um, and you know who sings about that? Uh... The band, uh, Gaylord. Yes, <laughs> that's right, Gaylord. Um, the favourite playground insult to my youth is back. Uh, these guys are from the UK, so they've obviously been called Gaylords in, in, on their school playgrounds a lot. Uh, they're a band from South London, and they're a black metal band, kinda, because... Um, their debut album is called The Black Metal Scene Needs to Be Destroyed and features such songs as Neo-Nazis Neo-Nazi Metalheads will be hanged and their broken corpses openly mocked. And Nice Suncross Tattoo, Asshole. And Odin Doesn't Listen to NSBM, You Inbred Alt-Right Shitheels. So we're going to play a little song off that album called Varg Impaled. Uh, if you've been listening you'll, to this episode or know vaguely anything about black metal you know who Varg is uh, there was a big discussion of him with uh, Dan from the Void Ritual a few episodes ago um, and we, I may get around to reading very very critically reading uh, Lords of Chaos uh, and also pointing out that the publishers of Lords of Chaos have a lot of very dodgy connections and yes. they're not good folk but um Maybe that'll come out. Uh, maybe we'll do that like when that film comes out. But uh, so yeah, so these guys are doing a kind of neckbeard death camp thing. Uh, I I prefer neckbeard death camp as a band. I think they're they're like a, a legit good uh, war metal band. But uh, these guys are pretty good too, and they're called Gaylord. So you know that's that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, check out Varg Impaled.
really cool if he um impaled himself on like a like a twitch stream while doing some like idiotic uh, medieval warfare practice did you ever watch this video on how best to attract a trad wife <laughs> that's actually mentioned in the lyrics to uh varg impaled it is legit the funniest youtube video i've seen aside from is that man riding a shrimp? That one's the funniest one, but this one is very close. Because he's, he's straight up just staring into the camera, talking in his goofy-ass fantasy voice about uh, how uh, strident virtue of the heart can attract a trad wife. <laughs> nice. The, yeah, the first uh, the lyrics to um, Varg Impaled are, Nice mustache, granddad. Your dating advice sucks shit. Delete your YouTube <laughs> account. Get your ass back to jail. And um, yeah, does, uh, I, I feel it. That 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 that's T. That's um, does it T right there. Does it mention at all his uh, deliberately racist D and D clone RPG? No, because uh, that's obscure even for for this these uh, informed people. But I want to play that. I want to. Uh, Same. Uh, we should do. We should do. <laughs> we should do an actual play side podcast where we play in his racist test <laughs> RPG. <laughs> Yeah, but there are like, there are uh, a lot of uh, podcasts where people like usually usually like half of them is let's get drunk and play D anD D, and the other half is let's just play D anD D, and uh, let's get high as fuck and play um, what's it called? It's like got some dumb um, like acronym name, but it's yeah, Varg's racist RPG, and we should all play as like the Jewish uh, race characters. Hi Varg, that's Hi Varg. Hi Varg. Yeah. And what does what does that stand for? It's um. Uh, let me look it up. Uh, mythic fantasy role playing game. Nice. The uh, the second um, Google result for Vardvikness is net worth. We're just gonna see see what his net worth is. What well, doesn't say? Oh, there's a um. There's a website called Net Worth Statistics. It's um, it's like all the celebrities. And, wow, it's got like a yeah. It's got all the statistics on different uh, celebrities and business people. And it's got Varg Vikness here, musician and writer, uh, industry writers, residence Bergen, Norway. He lives in France now nowadays. He's um, a Pisces. It oh, kind of explains explains so much. Yeah. But, I say that as though I as though I would know what that means. Yeah, but. same. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to get into uh, astrology just so I have something to talk to with girls. But um, I, I I know nothing apart from that. Like Aries is like me are like they're kind of the badass uh, sign. They're like uh, you know um, strong willed and focused, like me, and. Um, but I was born on the same day as Hitler, so I, I think that's oh, gonna that's... it's gonna like might, might, might come out in bad ways. You were born on four twenty. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, I should have. Um, 
Yeah. That, that's really what you want to say about the day you were born. I was born on the Reeves <laughs> Day, not on, on Hitler Day. <laughs> you, you have a choice of which one <laughs> that you say, and you say the Hitler one. <laughs> and immediately follow it with, but I think he's the bad one. I don't want to get this twisted. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, June, though. June. All right. Uh, yeah. Weed day. Yeah. Smoke weed every day on my birthday. Smoke weed every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, drug trips in the late, uh, drug fueled orgies in the later. Um, part of june but um the bene gesserit would say that uh when they're fucked up that's 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 the real me yeah they would um i wonder if talvin likes june i bet it does and um probably uh yes yeah, so a lot of shitheads like doom even though the fact that the the whole intergalactic psychic drug thing is if you're not stupid, it's pretty clear that that's the cause of all the problems. Yeah, everyone's fucked up all the time. And like the, like the Fremen just just chill with it, and then everyone else is like, "Let's get turbo fucked up and kill everybody." <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it came out in 1965, so like it wasn't like a peak psychedelia at the time. It, that stuff was just getting started. But um, Frank Herbert did hang out with Alan Watts and learn about Zen from him on his houseboat. Uh, Almost certainly tripped balls there. I don't know. Did like was there any? There was might be no balls to trip at that point because LSD was. Uh, when was LSD synthesized? It was like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The it was synthesized in the forties, but it wasn't like freely available. Apart from that, like purple haze acid that um, you could just like buy in the store that uh, Jimi Hendrix was talking about, but um, but Alan Watts loved drugs, so that's why. Uh, yeah, he he loved psychedelics, so. Yeah, uh, I I think uh, there's talk of Frank Herbert doing a bunch of mushrooms. Um, <laughs> mushroom I'm just imagining Frank uh, going all oh, far out, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what he, if worms were way bigger, and they're like, "Shut up, Frank!" And he's like, "Like way bigger." <laughs> wow. But, uh, apparently, he was also pre-square too. He like um, worked for a Republican candidate. His second cousin was a friend of the show, Joseph McCarthy, and yeah, he was he was a complicated figure. Um, and he kind of semi-based June on his experiences in the Oregon deserts. I know, like, most people think of Oregon as, like, uh, temporal, uh, temperate rainforests, but it's got a pretty huge desert in the south. It's really, yeah, really pretty there. Uh, uh, Washington State and Oregon State both have uh, one of every kind of biome within their bounds. Like, nice. it's rain. There's rainforest, there's desert, there's uh, beach, temperate forest, things like that. Plains. Yeah. Really biodiverse. Yeah, but, uh, but there's no uh, lava world. So, um, no. No. So not every biome. Um, That's true. But uh, yeah, he was big inspired by how the um, U.S. Department of Agriculture, I think it was, uh, planted a bunch of grass in, these, in the Oregon desert to stop all these dunes 
uh, from like blowing everywhere and literally killing people. It was like a pretty major problem having dunes everywhere. And um, nowadays, those the European beach grass that they planted is actually a invasive non-native species, and it's like a major problem there because they didn't think far enough ahead, and they got all like. Um, well, they they basically did what uh, Frank Herbert says not to do in June. Um, there's a line. I'll find it. Um, the highest function of ecology is understanding consequences, i.e., you know, it might pay off in the short term to plant a load of grass, but then the grass will be a problem. Or it might pay off in the short term to kill all the sparrows, but then you're going to have a huge famine. And in June, there's like this constant like uh, thing in the background of the Fremen wanting to basically like terraform big parts of June because their whole culture is based around uh, conserving water, taking water from people, killing people for water, just... Every, every other word they say is about water in some way because it's so scarce there. <laughs> and uh, they, yeah, they, but they've been conserving water and they want to like make a June or Arrakis into a like a big, big old garden. They want to have a good old time. And um, yeah, that's that's fucked up for two reasons. One is consequences, which is that Arrakis, more than like anywhere in the universe, is a pretty messed up place, and if you start messing around with it, then something is going to happen. It's never going to be as simple as just turning everywhere into a big grassy field. And two, like I said, the whole culture is based around water. And it's turned them into these like Bedouin Fedayeen warriors who, yeah, everything they do is based around water and fighting for water and dodging sandworms. And it's made them tough enough to beat up the deadly murder commandos of the uh, Sardaukar. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's... They um, are able to form a hyper-SS strong enough to defeat the merely ultra-SS. Yeah. It's like they've got like seven, even more S's now. It's just, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's uh, as much as the like uh, power corrupts absolutely theme is in there. The if you fuck around with nature, it's gonna fuck you back. Is a pretty is a is an idea that's in there, and I I, I don't know so what that... what happens okay. in later books with, with that stuff. I was just about to say. So the theme of the very next book is um, they make the realization that their terraforming efforts will solve the desertification of Dune and totally de-desertify it. But uh, while doing essentially a um, an ecological um, survey, they find that sandworms can't live in temperate environments. So because they will sandworms. The clues in in the name. They will annihilate all spice production if they terraform the planet. Um, I could have told them that. Right? That just seems written on the fucking wall. Um, yeah, it, it's so obvious. 
But and so most of the book deals with, um, I mean, amongst other things, it deals with uh, issues of, like, do they carry that out? Do they not carry that out? Um, by that point, um, Paul has abdicated uh, the thr- by the opening uh, of the second book. Paul has abdicated uh, his imperial seat and blinded himself and walked into the desert. Um, Hardcore. Yep. He he goes full uh, Oedipus, but without you know without the one part. Um, he just skips that one. Uh, are, you, are you sure? Because I've seen mom, his mom. Economically hot. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and that that's actually a driving point for where when Paul or when Leto the second rather his son um, becomes uh, fused with sandworm trout in order to make himself into a giant sandworm. One of the reasons he deliberately brings about the, uh, de-desertification of Arrakis is so that way he is the only sandworm and thus can, uh, he is the sole source of all spice. Nice. So, so the whole, no one ever thought this through. It's called, uh, when you make a poorly thought out infrastructure change that, uh, drastically negatively affects, uh, the climate and ecology around you, it's called, uh, America. Oh, um, damn. That, <laughs> looks that's... directly at camera. <laughs> that's a hot <laughs> tea. And, uh... America. Zooms in on face. America. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm going to put a bunch of effects there. Uh, just to <laughs> really, really put some oomph on that. But uh, yeah, they uh, the pretty much the arc of the next couple books is don't fuck up the planet. Oh, you fucked up the planet. Well, at least don't be a Hitler about it. Oh, you fucked up the planet and you're a Hitler about it. You son of a bitch. Nice. I mean, don't clone anybody. You keep cloning him. <laughs> <laughs> Stop cloning him. Yeah, and also uh, a uh, a lightly comedic. It's not supposed to be comedic, but a lightly comedic recurring theme is the Duncan clones goad people into killing them because they hate being alive. <laughs> <laughs> lightly comedic, yes. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like Oscar Wilde, and um, <laughs> well, wow, yeah. Dose me, senpai. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's to be no anime references in this uh, serious <laughs> show, um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I know it's inspired a lot of like later climate fiction, and or um, to use its horrible name, cli-fi. Ugh. Yeah, and. It's pretty cool that as the world ends, we're writing a lot of books about it. Um, but otherwise, uh, and and some like Cli-Fi is good. Um, I'm trying to think of an immediate example, but I can't. Uh, like, I guess, I actually I didn't like um, Oryx and Crake, those Margaret later Margaret Atwood books. They uh, they seem to um, have a very weird idea of teenage boys. But um, I did like those books, but only because they made me feel insanely bad. Uh, like it was very emotionally difficult to read them. <laughs> well, good. Uh, there's um, uh, Paolo uh, Basigalupi. He wrote, um, oh, what was it? 
crap. Uh, it came out quite recently, like... Half I can't remember, so I'll cut that. But, um... <laughs> and there's uh, Clay v- Claire Vay Watkins, No Relation, who wrote um, a book about California being uh, desertified. And, yeah, there's, there's a, a few of these books coming out, and it's, um... It's kind of heartening that we're at least, like, attempting to semi-deal with this in a kind of way. Um, but it's also, you know, it kind of rubs up against the fact that we're actually not dealing with it in a real way that might, like, prevent everyone from dying. Yeah, the way that, you know, that's that's the one we want. To, yeah. to not literally obliterate the planet, but... Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be cool with not having a few uh, Cli-Fi books if, you know, we could get, like, a uh, a credible carbon reduction strategy going. Because, you know, I, I the, like, if you watch the film Armageddon and it was about, like, uh, Liv Tyler's character writing a really good asteroid novel... <laughs> That that's that's not as good a film. You you kind of you know, I, I, she's a good actress. You know, nothing, I'm not saying anything bad about Liv, but um, you kind of need uh, Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis on a spaceship to kind of do some shit. Also, uh, I I and, asks her like, are we gonna still get killed by that asteroid? And she looks right at the camera and goes, yes. <laughs> and then gets back to reading her her uh, new book. But, um. Also, I, I walked past uh, Bruce Willis one time, and um, he's pretty tall, pretty big guy. Um, good. good for him. Yeah, I know. Very uh, reactionary, though, so that's not cool. But, um, so, you've obviously read a hell of a lot more June than I have. What, what's, where does this, uh, this franchise go? Especially after, like, Frank Herbert's death, because his oh, son... Jesus. Fucking Christ. Okay, so uh, nothing good, I assume. No. Okay, so if... So by the end of Dune, you can kind of stop, and it, it establishes at least all of its themes. Like, you, you were picking up on, like, this... Like, Paul seems like he's become kind of a dickhead by the end of this. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, And his messianic thing seems like chosen one in a bad way. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, they... they um, if anything, the next further books from Frank are just meant to hammer down that point and go, you're not pulling this out of thin air. That was deliberate and you picked up on yada, yada, yada. So if you like this kind of science fiction, um, also if you like dudes turning into huge worms, I'm a big sucker for that. Um, oh, hell yeah. People, uh, then Human centipede, right? That shit's to, I, those movies are legit good though. Really? Yeah. They're, the f- they're a, uh, I they're seen a, they're a, the first one's really pulpy, and then the second one is both a reaction to people who don't seem to understand the modal operation of horror, and so when they look at something depicted within horror, they imagine it as somehow be being an endorsement rather than... Or, or they will go, I don't want to see a depiction of this even in a critical way, and the horror creator going, then why did you watch my horror film? <laughs> in which that is the primal modal operation. Like, why would you just not watch this? Um, but he also lays into his own his own fans. Like, the, the villain of uh, Human Centipede 2 
is a super fan of Human Centipede 1, and that's why he carries it out. Um, and then nice. Human Centipede 3 is a prison warden feels that the American justice system doesn't go hard enough on its criminals, and so he makes a gigantic human centipede based on having watched the second film. So, like, the critiques... I'm literally dead. The, the thoughts of it are pretty obvious. Um, and the fact that people are like, oh, it's just trying to be shocking for its own sake. It's like, no, you di- you're, like, wickedly illiterate. This is, this is so on the nose, it's like he's trying to concuss you with his point. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, so with these, the, the next few Frank books at least more elaborate on the point that if you're even a bit savvy, you can pick up from these. Um, the last two or so, Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune, start digging into ancillary stuff, like Chapter House starts... Um, dealing a lot with the Dene Gesserit. So it's like, at that point, it's already becoming franchisey rather than, even up to God Emperor of Dune, which is the fourth one, it it feels like it's still telling the same tale. After that, it starts feeling more like stories within the world. Mm-hmm. And that's normally where a lot of sci-fi stuff starts starts falling, uh, falling apart a bit. Oh, Thankfully, yeah. he died before any worse could happen. Um, and then his son came, and I'm going to count real quick. Wrote 13 additional books. Oh, oh. All novels. Wow. And he wrote, these, he wrote like the, prequels and, and sequels and side stuff? Yeah, so one is a prequel trilogy called the House Trilogy, uh, one following each of the three big houses. Um, that are supposed to set up the immediate prequel to the events of Dune, which is absolutely fucking unnecessary. Um, it like, do, did you ever ask yourself, but what immediately precedes uh, Dune? <laughs> no, in as much same way, I didn't ask myself what immediately preceded Star Wars or Game of Thrones or kind of most stuff. I I assume that when stuff starts, that's where it's meant to start, and it didn't just like accidentally go <laughs> 10 years into the future by mistake yeah uh, you uh you, yeah it's because you're not stupid and that helps a lot with uh with making these kinds of uh thoughts <laughs> um uh then he made a uh a three-part prequel trilogy set ten thousand years before dune uh all dealing with lore to be fair some of the lore is uh is lit but also you don't need a book about it. Like mm-hmm. he wrote a book about how there was an AI uprising and there was a big machine war, kind of like fucking Terminator. And that's uh, why the, AI the, uh, but- outlawed. Butlerian Jihad. Yes. I remember that one. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just Terminator, but a bit more junior. Yeah. You don't um, like, I don't actually need that story. I think Frank does a good job going, yeah, there was an AI uprising called the Butlerian Jihad, and then uh, we killed all of them, and now they're outlawed. And I'm like, that's exactly as much information as I need. Yeah. I, I, like, everyone understands the concept of an AI uprising. Even um, Elon Musk understands it to, in his way. Like, yeah. You don't need to tell that story again. Uh, he then wrote uh, a midquel uh series uh 
comprising so far Paul of Dune and the Winds of Dune. I think there are supposed to be more, though, which are just listen how fucking worthless this is. Events that happen between the books of Dune. Okay. Which is just like the most profoundly unnecessary uh, uh, Winds of Dune was initially going to be called Jessica of Dune and they were all going to have the names of different characters. Um, He then released another prequel trilogy. Uh, One is about the Bene Gesserit, one is about the Mentats, one is about the Navigators, where it's just... uh, He then wrote two sequels to Dune, like, off of Chapter House, which doesn't make... But, like, by that point, the story is well and fucking done. And by the end of his... So, like any great, uh, very bad sci-fi author, he took the notes that his dad had for the seventh Dune book that he never got around to writing and split it into two books, uh, because fuck him. And by the end of the, uh... By the end of the second of Dune 7, uh, Paul is alive, Paul's wife is alive, they're super emperors of the omni-universe or whatever, they're high as shit, and they're married. Nice. Yeah. That's kind of where I want to go. Also, critics apparently complained because there were four consecutive deus ex machinas in order to make the the ending end there. Nice. That's a good level of deus ex machinas there. It, um, he also brings back characters from his own prequel books to make them major players and like, <laughs> uh, like serve all over uh, characters that Frank Herbert made. Uh, that is a baller move. Yeah. <laughs> that is your baller. Own, your own self-insert characters, uh, be it be, be it the uh, major players in your father's uh, <laughs> main work. That's, Fuck you, Dad. Yeah, that's. I thought the uh, the Fremen guy was cucked hard, but that's that's some next level stuff there. That's he cucked his own dad. That. Yeah. Uh, so, it's the best way I could describe it is that um, best briefest way is that it's similar to what Isaac Asimov did with the uh, with the iRobot and the Foundation trilogy, which were initially two separate trilogies, and they. Um, excellent acclaimed books they have their faults but also you understand when you read them you're like oh I get why these are foundational sci-fi novels in that they're foundation that other things built on there's a lot of good ideas but they needed to be touched a little bit or we've talked about this before how like women and people of color and queer folk have taken Lovecraft and gone there's some good thoughts here and a shitload of racism and we're just going to take that racism right on out and we're going to leave the good parts um Hmm. uh that, or, uh, uh, or kind of call back to black metal. Uh, yeah. People like Deathbeard, uh, Netbeard, Death Camp, and Gaylord taking they're the like, sh- shitty genre and just making it awesome. They're like, those riffs are good. However, we don't need the ethno nationalism. That's, that's a bit, don't, I don't think that's necessary, actually. We can just lift that one out. Um, also, we're not going to uh, lose anything. Yep. Neckbeard Death Camp are still the number three album in, in all of Bandcamp. Good so, fucking job. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they got signed to Prosthetic, too. Mm, they got signed? Yeah, oh, cool. they're wow. signed to Prosthetic Records. Oh, oh, God, I accidentally played it. But, uh, yeah, because they're awesome. 
and yeah, like a, actually a legit good band. Yeah, but, um, so like here's to hoping they actually are able to go like tour and because if I remember correctly, this is like all fake uh, names of people working in other bands, and it was just kind of like Fantafaxaf, where it's like it's a quiet secret amongst people who the members are and what bands they're from, but no one really talks about it for mostly like contract reasons. Like, I don't think they're legally allowed to be in another band signed to a different label. So mystery members. <laughs> Find out it's Dave Grohl. <laughs> it's just, it's Dave Grohl all the way down. And Tobias Ford. Yeah. Taylor Hawkins. And they are a couple. All my fan fiction came true. Yeah. Their son oh. is Tobias Forge. Wow. Yeah. That's but, real. But, uh, yeah, so... June. Yeah, so then, so then it expands from, like, you have this, this one excellent book, and they expand it, and the, the expansions are good if you like that one, but not strictly necessary. And then everything else is, like, you've paid... Uh, let's go classic here. You've paid Tub Girl the diarrhea right in your mouth. You've crawled didn't in that tub to, and you're... Yeah, didn't need to have that, uh, to be reminded of that. Yeah, well, there you go. That's the, I'm trying to think of an apt visual metaphor that is not problematic to invoke, but um, I hate you, Brian Herbert. Please okay. die. Of natural causes, but do please die. Episode title. <laughs> please die, Brian Herbert. Of natural causes, but please die. <laughs> that that part would be in brackets. That'd be the uh, I would do anything for love brackets, but I won't do that. You know. <laughs> so it's uh, because not only are their existence worthless, like they add nothing. Also, the writing is fucking awful. Like their yeah, co-written. The, the other guy is uh, Kevin J. Anderson, right? Yeah, and he writes spin-off, like he writes the StarCraft and Titan AE spin-off novels and shit. Oh, wow, I've been reminded of Titan AE. Yeah. Uh, did not think that would happen. Um, yeah, he's like a very workmanlike job in sci-fi author. And um, I don't think he's ever done anything like good. There's no like, oh, that was pretty I, uh... cool, then he sold out. It's, oh yeah, he's always been writing StarCraft um, novels or Halo prequels. So, uh, yeah, he, he kind of sucks. But, um, I think, I think if, like, June, the book, is pretty decent. Uh, I'm, I wasn't, like, a massive fan. I, I, I don't think I'm going to become this, like, huge June stan who's, like, dropping the spice must flow into, like, conversations. But I, I appreciate it for what it was. And probably on the same level as like Foundation or even like the first Ender's Game book, which I was like a massive Ender's Game nerd as a kid. I, I loved that book because I didn't understand it. I'm I glad realize... that I read it as an adult and just, yeah. I was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. This is literally about Hitler. This is about how we should forgive Hitler. And um, it is, by the way. Like it's uh, just about we should forgive Hitler because he was a gifted teen, and I'm like, I'm glad <laughs> he wasn't. I'm glad he was that I, I'm so he glad was that I did. did. I'm so glad I didn't read that as a 13 year old because I can see how seductive that would be to someone who's like 
a kid in a gifted program and feels the weird kind of alienation and persecution complex that as an adult, you spend a lot of time unlearning because it's super fucking unhealthy. Dude, don't subtweet me on my own show, okay? Jeez. Look, I I had to unlearn (laughs) that shit too. Okay, still, that that was basically me, who you just described there. So, uh, I, I, I was convinced for a long time that I should probably just beat up one of the kids in my school just to do what Edna did, but um, that, that shit's never going to work. You don't end up being a space uh, commander, you just end up expelled. Yeah. yeah. There should have been posters in my school saying that. <laughs> but... Um, just written for me. You're not going to be Ender. You're just going to be like stacking shelves when you're 18 because you'll not go to college. But um, yeah, June I think is decent. Would would you say like read the next couple if you if you're into this and then stop? Uh, or where, yeah, where do I, you stop with this? Uh, God Emperor. I think it, if you're gonna keep reading them, read up to God Emperor. That's the point where you get you get a pretty substantial climax to the stuff going on here. And also you get a dude turning himself into a 3,000-year-old omniscient godworm, which is lit. That's just lit as fuck. Um, after that, you can call it quits. You have two more books that you can read if you want, and then uh, 14 more books that if you read them, I will kill you. Uh, I will I will kill you. I will kill you if you read Brian Herbert's books. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so June. I've I've finally ticked off the world's greatest sci-fi novel. That's off my list now. Yep. Maybe, maybe one day I'll actually read something by Ernest Hemingway because I haven't ever done that, despite having a degree in American literature. But um that that can be in that can be in next next season. Yep. Uh so to play us out today, a fucking awesome track by a band that's I'm really hoping it's going to be a, a thing. They're called Outer Heaven. And hold on. <sighs> okay, I've used my um, Metal Gear Solid understanding weed. And Outer Heaven is a reference to um, a organization slash idea in the Metal Gear Solid universe uh, where Big Boss uh, wants to create a... Uh, well, okay. So first, in 1970, Gene proposed the concept of Army's Heaven, which would... Um, well, you got to understand that the Naked Snake, that's not Solid Snake, Naked Snake, um, who becomes Big Boss. Okay, so in 1900, a group called the Philosophers uh, convened to... Okay, so there's this stuff called uh, microscopic archaea, right? And that gives people superpowers. But uh, in order to use it, you have to be naked because your skin breathes. And that's why Quiet in Metal Gear Solid 5 has to wear a bikini all the time. Even though um, the end from Metal Gear Solid 3 doesn't have to wear a bikini all the time because he's like 100 years old. And you, what you can actually do, uh, if you're g- stuck on his boss fight, you can actually just like leave the game running for a week and then he dies of old age. Little tip there. Um... Yeah, so Outer Heaven, they're a band too, and they got an album called Realms of Eternal Decay. It's got a cover that's cool as fuck. It's got like green zombies and blue zombies eating each other, and you never see zombies eat other zombies. That's pretty cool. And um, 
They've got an album, a uh, song called Bloodspired that's been doing the rounds. Uh, they're from Pennsylvania. I don't think these guys have been in other bands. They they look all pretty young. They're pretty, uh, yeah, pretty good-looking crew. One of them's wearing a um, uh, Pissgrave t-shirt, so he's all right with me. And, uh, yeah, Realms of Eternal Decay by um, Outer Heaven. Fucking so, death metal! It is. It, it's really fucking good. And it's got a... I kind of found the guitars to have this kind of like Middle Eastern vibe that, that like gels quite well with June. I don't know if yeah. that was just me, but uh, they got that kind of like atonal, like kind of squawky thing going on. So yeah, uh, Outer Heaven are pretty fucking cool. And they're probably going to... Uh, and they've got like legit uh, pedigree here. They were produced by uh, Kevin Bernstein, who worked with Skeleton Witch and Full of Hell and Integrity. Mixed by a guy who worked with um, Pissgrave and Cavalera Conspiracy and admittedly Inquisition. And uh, cover art worked by the guy who worked with Power Trip before. So they are fucking, yeah, they're legit. And they're, this album's probably going to be like one of the ones, one of the big ones of 2018. So you're going to have to check that out. And uh, next week we come back and we read the Chapo book. I've just put it on my Kindle now. Yeah, I'm using a Kindle. And, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a book. What many words it in it. It's a book. Yeah. Um, I've been reading the, the Chapo Reddit just to get myself in the mood. And, yeah, I, I don't want to fuck with those guys. They seem scary. The, the Reddit guys. I'm sure the people in the podcast are lovely. Yeah, I, don't, uh, and I don't go on Reddit. Uh-uh. Yeah, I... I, I had to go on Reddit in order to ask a technical support question about my Kindle because uh, it's broken. But um, so I got a Kindle. Uh, that's other news. And after that, we're gonna. Oh, I, I haven't even told you. Uh, we're gonna be reading some manga. It's uh, a book about being homeless and an alcoholic by the guy who invented uh, Lolicon art style. So. Uh, check that one out and that's going to have uh, thank a god yeah you've been um, in the desert of not manga for too long and now uh, <laughs> the rains of um, people with big eyes are falling on you and it's like at the end of June the film and you're looking up to the sky going thank you senpai and um, yeah so some manga coming up uh, and um after that, more stuff. Oh, and uh, the book, <coughs> a book that's probably going to be out pretty soon, but we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks before we feature it, is uh, Cherry um, by Nico... Hold on. Nico Walker, who was an ex-military uh, um, medic in Iraq, went nuts... Um, robbed a bunch of banks and is in jail and wrote a book in jail about his experiences which that's like i'm sure there's like going to be a trap in this book because that's what you need to do in order to entrap me there's going to be it's yeah. going to like shut on my hand or something because that sounds cool as fuck i hope he poisons me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope i die because that book's so good it is, but uh it makes it makes my fucking heart rip apart yeah and it's being compared to Jesus's son meets Reservoir Dogs. What? Um, yeah. And 
I, I know Tantino shit, but Reservoir Dogs was legit good. So um, yeah, that... I mean he's got Tarantino has three and a half good movies: Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, and Glorious Bastards. Parts of Pulp Fiction, parts of it. See, part, uh, the the uh, the fight scene in Kill Bill that was that was a fight. very oh also yeah, that was cool. Also Death Death Race. That's a good movie. Death Race is good. Well, I wasn't feeling it, but um. Follow that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like how the ladies in that, um, like, in order to drive around in a cool car, they left their friend to possibly get raped by that um, redneck guy. That didn't seem like a cool thing for them to do to a friend. Um, but yeah, out of heaven though, out of heaven, good as fuck, and you should be listening to them. Uh, leave reviews. Uh, come back next week. Out of heaven.